0: This is Sean green here with Ryan Kramer from the sports gambling podcast. And you're listening to over six sports. Welcome to the Over Six Sports Podcast. I'm Zach the Bandit Burke, and with me is the man you know and love, even though he hates it. It's the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. What's up, Cam?
1: Oh, you know things are going well. Uh, coming off a great weekend, the Masters was exciting at times. Now just getting back into the hockey things. Couple big games this week. The Habs beat the Leafs. Had the trade deadline, so things are going good. How are things with you, Burke? Great. It's been uh, it's been nice. I mean, the weather's been been great. Hit the golf course
0: a couple times. It's uh, you know, swing's still bad. I mean, I'm just gonna do what we do with everything and blame COVID. I think that's the reason why the swing's so bad. So, <laughs> um, I I felt like I mean, we recorded last week on on Tuesday um, because we wanted to make it the master show out. So now it's been over a week. I felt like we haven't talked in forever. So uh excited to get into this week's pod
1: and uh we got a lot of good stuff coming up on the show this week yeah so let's get right into it i think we got to start with the headlines we had a pretty busy week in the nhl with the trade deadline i mean not as busy as most other years but there was still some good trades and some big trades and i think the biggest one of the day had to be anthony mantha i don't know if anybody really saw him moving and he's a guy who's maybe just edging into his prime moving to the caps uh, the deal ended up being a first, a second round pick, and Verana for Mantha. Any thoughts on this one, Burke? Um, I mean,
0: well, the consensus on social media is that Washington got robbed. They got uh, Iser plan or whatever you want to call it. Which, by the way, I just like to throw out that uh, the Iser plan is a hundred percent like a dollar store version of the Shanna plan. I just like to throw that out, get that out of the way, because Shannon plan was first. And now you're just getting completely taken over by the Iser plan. So Wings fans, you think you're original, you're not been there, done that. Uh, But in terms of the trade itself, I mean, I think it made a lot of sense for both teams. I think that Washington gave up a lot. Um, But, I mean, Mantha, I mean, he came out and scored a a beauty in his first game with Washington. I mean, if if you're making a a run, right, sometimes you have to overpay a little bit to add a piece that's gonna you know maybe push you over the
1: edge or just give you that extra depth yeah i mean it was definitely a lot if you compare the two careers varana and mantha are very similar numbers you are giving up a first round pick as well which seems odd i know the second round pick was basically to take panic's contract so you can't really read it too much into that one but yeah i mean is the best player out of this varana yes is similar in points but there's no doubt in my, man, my mind that Mantha is the best player in this deal. So, yeah, they're giving up a lot, but I think Washington's trying to push it over that edge and go for another cup. With Ovechkin, with Baxter, with some of their older players, you're in it to win it right now. And their window's still open, so I think you're kind of pushing the chips in. Well, and that's the thing, in the, especially in the Eastern Conference, right? I mean, it's
0: there's a lot of teams, and we're going to get into that a little bit more in terms of the North Division, but there's a lot of teams who made moves. And you can't get behind, right? Like you can't just sit there and be like, I mean, for example, I mean, I think Tampa was okay, right? I mean, Tampa didn't do too too much to their roster,
1: right? Because they're, I mean, they're a good team. They're confident in what they've got. Yeah, I mean, they picked up Savard, which was huge. He's going to really help that back end. He's going to play depth minutes. He's going to basically yeah. be what they a better version of Bogosian is what he is. And that was the guy they picked up last year at the trade deadline. So they're picking up a better version of him. This the big one for Tampa is going to be Kucherov coming back. Yeah, no for move sure. they could, no move they could make at the trade deadline is going to be better than Kucherov. But with Washington's deal, I think it's a big deal because at Eastern conference, there's four teams who I think legit could win the Stanley cup. And there's only four teams who make the playoffs from that division. You got Washington, you got the Islanders, you got the pens and you got the Bruins. Yeah. and And that's the thing, right? Is, is, you know, kind of circling back, but
0: um, other teams, I mean, Bruins, they picked up Taylor Hall. Um, they picked up Curtis Lazar from Buffalo for basically nothing. I think that actually might've been one of the better trades to come down. Um, I mean, you know, Hall kind of had the Sabres handcuffed. And we talked about this a little bit before, you know, when it happened, but he basically was like, yeah. And this kind of gets into our net, you know, that, that next trade, right. Where that was one of the more, you knew it was going to happen, and and Hall couldn't get out of there quicker. But, I mean, every team – and I know – because think about it, Like, the Islanders, they also picked up guys, right? They picked up uh, a couple guys from the Devils. I mean, they had to – every team that's that's a contender that you said has picked up guys trying to win.
1: Yeah, you saw the Isles. They lost Anders Lee, so it allowed them to have a little bit of money. They picked up Paul Mary and Zajac, which are two huge depth guys. mary has got a little top six he can still play in. But yeah, this Taylor Hall deal is kind of neat. If you look back at it now, basically Boston traded Tyler Sagan for pretty much nothing and now traded pretty much nothing for Taylor Hall. So just a weird thing when you consider them one and two in that draft and how good they've really been over their careers. A little weird, but I mean, yeah, they basically stole Hall for nothing. I know he's having a terrible year. Ignore everything that's happened in Buffalo for any of these players this year. You can't read too much into that. Buffalo's complete garbage. So you look around and Hall's going to bring five on five scoring, which Boston needs. He's going to be better than he was there. And you're really not giving up much. And he handcuffed them. His no movement clause sounds like he said no to a couple better trades. So Buffalo is screwed there. So I think it's a good move by everybody in that division. And it's just going to make it tight. I mean, those four teams are making the playoffs. We'll see where it goes come playoff time in that division. Well, I think the other thing,
0: you know, as you kind of alluded to, I mean, Taylor Hall only has, I think, two goals this year. He's got a handful of assists. Um, He's not playing. I mean, when you're playing on that bad of a team, and I mean, this did shock everybody. Everybody thought Buffalo was going to take another step, and they went the opposite way. They went went full Detroit Red Wings 2019. Like, they went, like, are these guys ever going to win a game again? It's crazy that we've actually had – back to back. I know there's usually bad teams, but back to back years were like are these is, are these teams going to set the record for the least amount of points in the NHL. So um I would have loved to see, you know, some state police or something like post a video of him giving Taylor Hall a ticket cuz that guy drove like 200 miles an hour out of Buffalo. Like the fat like the, he like just, you know, all oh, your trade great. My, my my he probably already had his truck packed. Like this guy probably had his, his bag, his sticks, his dog, everything waiting in the truck. He was probably idling. He probably had to get a, a gas company to go um, put more gas live into his vehicle so that as soon as the trade happened, he just smashed the gas and was <laughs> off to wherever, right? Um, and then the la- actually, before we move into the next trade, the one thing I did want to bring up as well was, um, you know, another hit for Buffalo, but Eichel, uh, Jack Eichel out for the year with a herniated disc in his neck. Um, you know, if this guy, if they were in a, a race or any sort of competition, he'd be playing and he's like, you know what? I don't need this for the next 16 games. Like, let me go get healthy and, uh, I'll see you guys next year. Maybe.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the big thing. It's, uh, we'll see if Eichel does stay there. There's a lot of rumors that he's going to be asking for a trade in the off season. I just circling going back to the hall thing. This is huge for him. He's still a UFA this year. you got to remind yourself of that. I know he's had such a terrible year. He signed a one-year, $8 million contract. He won the Hart Trophy not that long ago. He's still a really good player. He's going to be a UFA. We'll see what happens again, and maybe he's going to have to do a one-year trial again. See how it goes in Boston. You never know. Maybe he signs long-term there. I know they're pretty tight to the cap, so I don't know if that'll work, but we'll see from there. So but he, we'll... he,
0: he like, like he... in a a sense, by getting himself onto a cup contending team, probably just bumped up what his one-year deal next year is going to be. Because if he finished the year with Buffalo at two goals and 14 assists, or even if he bumped it up to five goals, 20 assists, if he had a 25, 30-point season, like the market for him probably wouldn't have been that good. But you go on to Boston with much better talent, like much better, and you can put a few goals away late here, then you're able to make a pitch and say, hey, by the way, like I did my best, but Buffalo's so bad that I couldn't do anything about it. But now that you put me with anybody who has a half a pulse, I can put the puck in the net.
1: Yeah, exactly that. So just kind of moving in. I mean, there was a lot of trades, but a lot of no-name trades overall. But uh, the Leafs made some really smart moves, in my opinion. And we could touch base on those. Where do you want to start with those, Burke? Um, yeah, I think I mean I think we
0: start with the best trade. I think that, you know, the one that fills the, the biggest need, and that was uh, getting Nick Foligno from the Jackets. Um, we've been talking all year, and one of the things that you've said to me constantly is, is that the one thing that's concerned you about the Leafs is that they just don't have the depth in the third and the fourth line. And that's one of the things you really like about the Habs, right? Is that the Habs have, you know, at least have a, a good level of depth. Their, their top six maybe isn't quite as good, but they have a good amount of depth. And so what do the Leafs go out and do? They grab some solid depth and they grab a guy who frankly was all over them when they lost to them in the play-in round last year, right? Like Nick Foligno caused the Leafs a ton of problems last year. So if you can't beat them, as they say, as the kids say, join them, right? You go up and grab them. I don't think that what the Leafs gave up was unreasonable. It was Nick Foligno. um, And it was a, was that the one that was, that was, that was a straight up trade, right? No, it wasn't. No, they they did they dealt with the Sharks on that one, didn't they? Yeah, they gave way. up an
1: extra an extra pick to the Sharks so that the Sharks would cover 25% of the salary as well. Right. And then the Jackets 850. So they get Felino on 25% of the salary. They're able to sneak a
0: really good player in, which by the way, I love the cap circumvention. It's actually just hilarious. Like, why why even bother having this hard cap when you, when other teams can just eat salary for you? It's kind of a joke. Won't dwell on that too much, but they gave up a first for Felino is really
1: what it comes down to. First and a couple and a second and a fourth, I think. So wait, you were complaining a couple of weeks ago with the NFL and how everyone gets around the cap and oh, gets around money. Go. But when the Maple Leafs do it, it's the greatest thing ever.
0: No. Okay. All right. All right. Listen, let me defend myself here. There is a difference in, and it wasn't, it wasn't, I was never mad about the nfl circumventing cap i was mad that they were assigning contracts and then restructuring con- contracts and and not paying players or kicking the can down the road right it's a little different scenario here because you have other teams who are paying the, the contract so the contract hasn't changed Foligno is still getting paid the exact same amount of money except for it's going to be by three different checks but he's still getting paid so Yes, there may it may seem like some hypocrisy. I think that you have to play within the rules and I get that in the NFL that's the rules blah blah blah. I just think it's stupid. I think this is much more reasonable, but that's let's also keep in mind that the NFL salary cap is like like just freaking stupid. It's so high, right? So there you go. There's my defense.
1: Yeah, no and I understand that. Yeah, Felino's a good move. I mean, it sounded like uh the Leafs are really considering like a Taylor Hall. But then Galchenyuk stepped into that top six, and he's been really good with Matthews and Marner. So that really allows everybody else to move down the lineup. You had a Foligno who can play anywhere, and it sounds like he's willing to play anywhere on that lineup. He could jump up on that second line if you need him to, but I think you'd be happier if he can play third. So it's kind of worked out a lot better. You touch on uh, the next kind of big, bigger move there is Dave Riddick. Uh, you're really shoring up your goaltending. You don't really know when Anderson's back, and that just allows if you If Anderson's to... back. If Anderson's back. I still think you'd want him back, and he's going to be back at some point. But how are you bringing him
0: back, though, I guess is my question. I mean,
1: I... <sighs> like, you're not going to sit Riddick on the taxi squad, are you?
0: And with how Campbell's played, he's not
1: going anywhere. No, you don't need to send him down. They've been running three goalies on their active roster all year. I just think that it's pretty telling that, you know, like
0: Dubas has come out and said, well, I'm not really concerned. Keith is like, oh, he's got a nagging injury. And I touched on this a couple weeks ago that I'm like, man, I could totally see the Leafs. And they, they did put him LTIR. So we we're right there. And I said, I would not be surprised if he was on LTIR going into the playoffs. And all indications, I mean, the Leafs got 14 games left. So are you bringing him back two games left to go? I, I don't know, man. I'm just not, I'm, I i don't see also how you can pull Campbell out of the spot. I know he hasn't been, frankly, he hasn't been great the last couple games. I mean, he let in five versus Ottawa, and he let in, um, well, the other night versus the Havs, let in three. So he hasn't been fantastic in those games. I mean, he's still, his record is really good, but you're not going to take a guy who's played a Uh, in a month and a half just put him in two games and then be like okay yep you
1: get the crease back for the playoffs no you're not going to just be like he's for sure the starter but i think you would still rather anderson there than riddick and if camel falters at all you'd still have no problem having anderson be their starter everything over camel's career i don't think you'd trust him long term really if you look into a lot of his stats even over this crazy stretch he's very average i know it looks crazy because of his stats the Leafs have just been a crazy good team with him and net. So it's hard to say that that's where yeah. like you look at like Montreal and Jake Allen, they're scoring less than two goals a game with Jake Allen in net. not going to win any games. Jake Allen's been much better than most goalies in the NHL this season. Gets zero goal support Toronto with Jack Campbell in net; they don't give up any chances. Pretty easy to play net. If you don't give up any high danger chances, which is what
0: they should be doing by the way, when no matter who's in net, but Again, we don't want to talk about the Leafs all night, but they very often, you know, when you have a really good goalie in the net, it's very easy to play. I mean, this is a great, I mean, it's same thing when, they, when there's an empty net. All of a sudden, any team who is a bad defensive team turns into an amazingly defensive good team when the net's empty. They play with desperation, they don't allow a shot, like that's how they should play the whole time. And that's how they play in front of Hutch. That's how they played in front of Campbell. All you gotta do is play like that in front of Anderson. And God, could you imagine if they did that? Because they haven't all year. The last trade the Leafs did was Ben Hutton out of Anaheim. Um they they checked all their boxes. They got depth forward, depth defenseman, depth goal, depth goalie. They they've they've added and, and Hutton may or may not get a lot of time. The good news is, is that if you get an injury anywhere, you're not having to call up Marty Morinson into your lineup or or Sandine who's played zero time in the NHL. well next to the zero, zero time in the NHL. Right? You've added somebody who's playing twenty minutes a night given on a crappy Anaheim team. He's playing 18 20 minutes a night. He's played most of the year. So you have somebody to put into the top six if an injury happens.
1: No, he'll be in the lineup right away. Travis you Dermott think? will not Travis Dermott will not see another game this regular season for the Leafs. If he does Ooh. Sheldon Keefe's an absolute idiot Keep. Dermot can't play power play. He plays zero time on the penalty kill. Ben Hutton's a good penalty killer. Why the heck are you running Dermot out? He's terrible five on five, doesn't play power play because you have enough depth there, and he can't penalty kill. Ben Hutton plays decent five on five, is a really good penalty killer. That's why you brought him in. You don't want to see any more of Travis Dermott. I know two years ago, everyone would thought Travis Dermott was going to be the next Morgan Riley. He's not. He's too good to be an AHL defenseman, but not good enough to be an NHL defenseman. He's like your typical 7th D. And I don't think Dermot should be seeing the lineup anymore unless basically you need to give Bogosian a night off. Man,
0: that is um, I I, I don't want to say spicy, but I mean it's kind of spicy because I don't think a lot of people in Leafs Nation are thinking Dermot's on his way out, but uh, i it's hard to argue though i think that's the thing right is is like i'm kind of like ooh, damn like that's that's a hot take but i mean you got a guy who plays 20 minutes he played on a bad team i like and i what i really liked about this move the one stat that i looked at that i thought was interesting was is hutton is a minus 13 now plus minus is, as you alluded to when we were talking about it plus minus is a terrible stat when your team is terrible that makes total sense. Like, look at Buffalo. They've got some guys who are absolutely horrific minus numbers, so you can't really look into it too much. But he's only minus 13 on an Anaheim team who's not good. So you put him with a little bit better support, like forward support, that two-way support with a better defenseman pairing, and he doesn't have to play top minutes, then great. That that'll that He should fit well into that.
1: Well, that's the big thing. You just want somebody who's willing to play penalty kill. You look at it, Dermott's playing like 12 minutes a game. You just can't have that, especially in a condensed season when he gets into the playoffs and stuff. You just can't have a guy only play 12 minutes. He plays five on five, and I've seen him on the back end of some power plays just to get him a couple extra minutes and give somebody a break. Ben Hutton can play penalty kill, so there's something he can do really well where you can give where you don't need Morgan Riley or Jake Muzzin or them playing two minutes on the penalty kill, Ben Hutton can take some of that time. So that's why I think they brought him in is for that penalty kill and just get up even to that fifteen minute mark. That's three minutes, so that's at least a shift or two from each of the top four where he can step in. So overall, I, I give gonna... the
0: Leafs a, sorry. Overall, I give the Leafs a B plus on that trade deadline. I mean, A plus is like you know is almost you bring in multiple major debt pieces or you go out and get a lot of stuff. I think it's, I think it's a B plus um, B plus trade deadline where it's close to, or just an A. It was good. That's all I can say. It was good. As a Leafs fan, finally at a trade deadline, you know, we didn't bring in somebody, you know, super terrible over the hill. We actually brought in meaningful people. And as I kind of said to you earlier, I think that this is and maybe this is a hot take, but I think, Unless the Le- like the If the Leafs go out in the first round, everybody in that organization is on the hot seat. But if they make it past the first round, I think the moves that Dubas has done has guaranteed him another year in Toronto. I don't think you necessarily agree with that, but this guy has done everything that he can to give them a chance to succeed. It's time for the players to go out, do your fucking job, and get the job done.
1: Yeah, I mean, I question some of his moves and stuff, but I agree with that point. If he gets past the first round, he's earned himself another year. If they lose in the first round, I think he's gone, and I don't think there's any question about is it. Is Shanahan gone? I don't think so. I think Dubas is the first domino to fall here. If they can't get out of the first round, the moves he's made clearly don't work. A lot of people question some of them anyways. You're bringing in like Thornton, who you're learning in a hurry, can't play really more than 10, 12 minutes a game. No. They look good to start the year after an entire off season. So some of these moves who everyone thought and was over the top, I mean, I'm even the same way as a Habs fan. We have Corey Perry, Eric Stahl. What year is this again? And you got that with a <laughs> cu- you got that with a couple of the moves on Toronto as well. So if they don't get out of the first round, I think Dubas is gone. But if they can get through the first round, he's done enough moves that I think he's earned himself another year. It's going to be a busy offseason anyways. So, I mean, he'll be on the hot seat again next year unless they win the cup. Let's just hope they win the Cup this year. Hey, you're not hoping this. I am. But let's just
0: hope they win the Cup this year, and then they can be shit for the next 20 years, and I don't I don't care. Just give
1: me just give me that ring. So just kind of moving around the rest of the North Division then. Vancouver didn't do much. I mean, they're finally going to play this week, so that's kind of exciting. Uh, I don't know if you heard any of J.T. Miller's comments tonight. No, I didn't. They're getting one practice and one skate in. He thinks it's unfair. He thinks it's horrible. How can they even do this? Nice. And I mean – a couple of the other teams in the NHL have been in the same boat. You gotta understand it's not really fair, but who's their first game? It'll be Friday. I can't remember who they're playing on Friday. And then they play the Leafs on Saturday?
0: I believe so. Oh my god, back okay, well I'm not gonna get into our picks, but that's that's a good teaser for you right there. But um yeah, I mean, uh Edmonton added a defenseman. I don't think that they did good enough, frankly.
1: Oh, I think I think it's a great move. Dmitri Kulikov is going to make a big difference there. He's is exactly it enough though? They, I mean, it helps shore them up. I mean, they couldn't make it many moves. They're even tighter than anybody else. They had nobody who they could put on LTIR to try and cheat the cap. There's really not anything else they could do. So, making their probably more most important position is on the defense with some of the like bomb being done for the year. That's all they could do there with everything so i think it was a great move and it's a good trade deadline for them and then at uh ottawa they
0: they they moved a couple guys out
1: yeah no it was a good trade deadline for ottawa you moved out a couple guys good branson and just guys who you knew weren't going to be a part of their future get a couple extra picks you're rebuilding great play uh winnipeg didn't really do much either i thought they were going to be one of the busier teams they really needed to shore up that back end they made one move back there but I don't know if it's good enough, but we'll see. I mean, Hallebuck in that top six can still get it done. The big surprise to me actually was
0: is that it seemed to me like Calgary were kind of sellers in, uh, on that trade deadline. They weren't really, right? like They came out and, they, and the GM was like, oh, you know, we're, we still have enough here to go and do it. But some of the moves just made sense. We didn't really want to, but it made sense. Yeah, I don't think that it, I don't think you're moving Riddick if you think you have a chance at the playoffs, do you?
1: Yeah, he's a UFA this year. Markstrom's your number one. You got a couple of decent AHL goalies. Makes a lot of sense if you think you can get something for him to move him. Same with Sam Bennett. You got a really good haul for Sam Bennett. You got a guy who was just drafted in the second round and another second round pick. So both moves are moves where I think if they came up, you kind of had to make. You're kind of in that position where you want to try and get some assets. If things go well for the Flames, Riddick's not playing anyways. I know he's a solid backup, and he's decent in that, but they got a lot of ground to make up. They still play the Habs four more times after tonight after winning, so they're only four points back. Habs have three games at hand. Riddick's not getting it done. If you're going anywhere, it's with Markstrom, so I don't see that as being a massive deal in moving him. So, yeah, I think the Flames made some smart moves to kind of – set themselves up for a summer that could be really important depending on how the rest of the season goes. I like it. Well, that should wrap up our uh, our trade deadline for the North.
0: So we should move into the one of the exciting parts, again, of our headlines. And our recap, the 2021
1: Masters Cam. What did you think about the tournament? I, th- I loved it. Yeah. I got it out to an exciting start early. We had Justin Rose going seven under on Thursday, really holding the lead for Friday, Saturday. And then that, uh, after that rain delay on Saturday, Hideki Matsuyama just took over that last 10 holes he played on Saturday might've been some of the best golf I'd ever seen. He hit every putt sound seemed like everything was right at the pin and was crazy. And then Sunday he somehow held on and, uh, Got to watch all of that. It was a little up and down, didn't seem like much of a day. Then on fifteen he thought we thought he made the biggest bonehead move ever, going for it, hitting it in the water. And then sixteen, shuffley hits it in the water and kind of ended the tournament there, basically.
0: Well, all we were hoping for was it to be close going down the end, and we kind of got our wish. I mean, it wasn't exactly how we wanted it. I mean, I would have loved to see a playoff. I would have loved to see um Multiple guys kind of in it towards the end. Uh, we didn't quite get it. We got that as soon as um, you know Matsuyama hit it into the the lake on 15 in behind. We were like, "Uh oh, this could get good quick." Because it, you know, and, I mean, kudos to him though. I mean, he turned it around and bogeyed the hole from a not great position as well. Um, so you know, he he just. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you was, and as the turf king, you might be able to read into this. So I will ask you first and foremost, um, did the rain delay, did that play into Matsuyama's ability to kind of control the ball a little bit easier on the course? Because the greens weren't as hard. They weren't as fast after the rain delay. And secondly, how were the course conditions this week? And what did you think?
1: Well, I mean, it definitely gave me a little anxiety looking at the greens and them being a little purple. They definitely dried them out. When it touches on that Saturday and after the rain delay, everything showed that the course was playing much easier. The wind died down completely. As you know, if you get rain at home or a storm, once the storm's over, the wind dies in a hurry. So there was no wind. The greens were soft. They were able to attack pins. They weren't attacking earlier. And Hideki's one of the best ball strikers in the world. And it made it easier for him. I think the scoring average before the rain delay that day was just slightly over 72. And for the guys that finished after the rain delay, it was like 68. So like a four stroke difference. That's huge. if, If you got to play after that rain delay. So the course was playing much easier and that definitely helped Hideki there. Overall, Augusta's Augusta. I could watch a tournament there every weekend the course is remarkable every time they play there, and the conditions are just perfect.
0: Well, and you know, as I said, we—I always like to see new people win the Masters. I think that it was, um, it was—I I really hate, by the way, that they still do the the cabin interview with the five of them sitting around and like it's Jim Nance and then the chairman, and they're like. It's just so awkward. It might be the most awkward presentation in sports. Like you basically, this is one of the greatest moments of your life and nope, you got to come sit in a chair with the guy who missed the cut and the chairman who you don't know. Some broadcaster you don't care about and your translator. And it's like, man, like it just, if I just feel so like they just rob you of a moment that like, you should be in front of everybody accepting your trophy and your green jacket. I know that they go out afterwards with the green jacket, but man, it's so cloak and dagger. Like congratulations on your green jacket. Here you go. Now get out of our building. Like it's so
1: weird. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it makes it even worse with the translator this year. It makes it even more awkward. You could tell how definitely understood what they were saying but he didn't feel comfortable, and his English isn't good enough to talk back. But yeah, it's definitely a little awkward, but it's the tradition at Augusta, and for me personally, everything around Augusta, if they want to follow tradition, I'm all about it. So let's, um, I mean, that's a good summary of
0: the the tournament itself. Um, Let's dive into a little bit of our picks. I'm going to go first here because I had, uh, I did okay. And we're, in, we're not going to go exactly what we did pick by pick. So what we're going to do essentially is just kind of shout out, um, you know, what pick that we made that we were proud of, that we kind of hit on. Because, we. De- I mean, golf is one of those sports when you make a pick, you can miss on them very easily. I'll bite the bullet first. And my Lee Westwood pick was terrible. He did not show up this weekend. And sometimes that just happens. But um, I just wanted to get out ahead of that. Not a good pick. Didn't like it. But I did want to give you props, Cam, as much as the reason I wanted to go first is because
1: I now know who Will Zalatoris is. Yeah, I mean, I do want to circle back to your Westwood thing. You had one of the funniest takes probably all weekend after Thursdays. You're going to bring this up. (laughs) I see. Okay, go ahead. So Westwood has been using his fiance on the bag most of the year. He had a terrible round Thursday. Being a good Englishman, you thought, oh, he's just going to go have a beer, go sleep with his caddy, and come out on Friday and shoot a low score, make the cut. However, you didn't realize that he did (laughs) promise his son to be his caddy at the Masters. So when you put that in the group chat, it was a little awkward because I was really hoping he didn't sleep with his son that night. No, I – well, obviously he didn't because did you see how he played on Friday? Like
0: garbage, I'm telling you. It's – you know what? His son shouldn't be allowed to caddy for him anymore because Lee needs to get in there. As I said, I think that was a fair point. I'm like, man, slam a couple pints, you know, have a little fun with your lady, get back out there on Friday and bounce back, and it was his son. So he didn't slam any pints. He didn't do anything interesting later that night, hopefully, and then had a bad day the next day. No more sun on the bag. Funny, It was funny, though. I did not realize that he had a sun on the bag. That was, uh, yeah, I mean, the point stands true. It was just, uh, yeah. I mean, definitely
1: not the situation for that. (laughs) But then moving along to Will Zalatoris. Yeah, before the weekend, I mean, I think there's a lot of casual golf fans who had no idea who he was. He finished sixth at winged foot last year when Bryson won the U.S. Open, kind of qualified him for a bunch of this. Technically, he's not a PGA Tour member right now, but, man, this guy can play golf. He's, what, 120 pounds soaking wet, but he's got the quickest hips. He hits the ball a mile for his size, and he's just a good character. He's lots of fun, and uh, he played some good golf this week. I mean, he's happy Gilmore's caddy. So, yeah, you learn from the greatest, right?
0: So if anybody didn't see that, this guy is like like 120 pounds, soaking wet. It's got this big mop of blonde hair. If you've watched Happy Gilmore, his caddy kid that he picks off of whatever is like looks exactly like him. I mean, this guy. I think Will Zalatoris had the most comparisons. Like people were asking him if he's Owen Wilson. He responded with a "Wow," and also if he's Happy Gilmore's caddy, like. Poor guy is like never gets asked any questions about like any real golf questions. It's all about, hey, you look like this guy. But he does have like Mr. Gilmore. I am your caddy on his wedge. So he kind of invited it himself.
1: Yeah, this is definitely a guy who I look forward to seeing again. He's such a good ball striker, which, again, is one of those things I touched on before the Masters. These ball strikers are going to get it done. And they did. Uh, but here's some stats about Will Zalatoris. He's a guy over the next couple of years, I think everyone's going to get to know well, especially after watching him and watching how he handled the pressure. He's had 15 starts on the PGA Tour, six top tens, 11 top 25s, and made over $3 million now. It's all right for a 24-year-old. It's not a bad gig. I just
0: want to defend, like, I, I'm a golf fan. I like to golf. I know a lot, like, a lot of PGA stuff. I've watched a lot of it. I definitely was thrown off by the fact that the the reason I like, I don't know this guy is because like, you're a much bigger golf fan than I am considering that you are the turf King. I would expect that, but the the guy not being on the PGA tour, I think for me was where I just didn't pay attention. Right? Like, I think like kudos to you for no one, but like, I mean, this guy hasn't, and it was weird by the way. The only reason he's not on the PGA tour is because they weren't giving tour cards because of the
1: pandemic. Otherwise this guy'd be on the tour. Yeah, that's one of the craziest things about Will Zalatoris right now. If he won the Masters this week, he would have earned his PGA Tour status straight up. Because of the amount of points he's accrued over the last year, he'd be third in the FedEx Cup standings. Since he hasn't won right now, he's not even eligible for the FedEx Cup. So right now, he'd be sitting like fifth or sixth right now if he could somehow win a tournament. And right now, he doesn't even qualify to make any of it. So. Isn't his kind world of a, ranking like forty? Like he's like the fortieth ranked golfer in the world, and he's not even on the PGA tour. Yeah, with his uh, solo second this week, he moved up into the top forty now in the official world golf ranking. It's stupid! So.
0: Like, how are you not on the like? Think about how many guys consistently are playing on the PGA tour. Like, like you know, what's a normal field? Like hundred and sixty for a normal tournament. Something something ridiculous. One hundred and forty, I think. One hundred and forty. You're telling me that. This guy is better than, you know, uh, uh, 75% of the field and doesn't have a PGA Tour card. It's insanity. I don't know how the PGA Tour just doesn't give them an exemption for the PGA Tour. I mean, I guess they have protocols to follow. I get it. Like the whole Corn Fairy Tour, you get, you know, people come up. They can't send anybody down, blah, blah, blah. Get Will Zalatoris on the PGA Tour. That's all I'm asking for. Kudos to Cam, the Turf King, for calling out Will Zalatoris. I loved it, and that one cashed for you.
1: Yeah, last thing on Will Zalatoris. that's the weird thing, is he hasn't actually played on the Corn Ferry Tour since September, and he basically will be playing every PGA Tour event he wants to on sponsors exemptions, and he's already qualified for next year's Masters, finishing top five and all that. So, Well, get him his official one. Good for him, but yeah, top five I had him, top ten I had him, so I cashed pretty good money on Will Zalatoris. I like that. Uh, I'm going to go into one of mine.
0: So... The one that I was, like, fairly confident in was, um, so, so okay, so let's go with this. Tony Finau, I had to win. Tony Finau did not win. And Tony Finau was not close. But I did also take Tony Fino top 10. And Tony Finau was T8. So, I cashed Tony Finau. He did not do great. He did not do, you know, he did not do... Terribly by any means, but I mean he was there,
1: you know, he was there. I mean he probably had the shot of the weekend on Sunday. There hits a tree branch, had to hit it, play this low stinger, hits a tree branch, hits the face of the bunker, somehow rolls up to like a foot for par.
0: Yeah, that's how we do it, honestly. Like that looked like you or me. Uh, well, more like you, but like it looked like one of us just just chunking it around out there. And I mean, hey, if you hit enough golf shots, eventually one of them is going to be good. Um, we haven't talked about this yet. Jordan Spieth tied for third, and he could have won the Masters if he would have just sunk a
1: putt. Yeah, it was frustrating. You saw him early, you're like, Okay, hey, if Jordan Spieth can go out here early, get a couple of quick birdies, start to put the pressure on, he could run away with this. He's got the game to run away with it. He's really good around Augusta, and it just never came together. He wasn't making any putts. I mean, he still finished T3. And if you look at his, like, last eight starts now, he's basically top 25 every time. I think he's, like, four or five top fives now. Jordan Spieth is back. And that's the craziest thing about this entire weekend. Everyone's talking about Will Zalatoris and how young he is and this new guy on the tour. Jordan Spieth is only two years older than him.
0: Yeah, they kept calling Zalatoris. like, oh, look at this kid. Look at this kid out here. And, like, what, is Spieth a fucking old man? I think, yeah, like I looked up the ages because I was like, wow, like how young is this Zalatoris guy? Nah, he's 24. Okay, or 25. He's a couple of years younger than Spieth. So can we just pump the brakes on calling Zalatoris the kid? I get that he's new to the PGA Tour, but he's only a couple of years younger than
1: Spieth. So it's actually more impressive how much Spieth's won and still not that old. Well, that's the thing is everyone's saying Spieth's career is over. The guy's 27 years old. He's got he's three our age... He's got three majors already. Golf's not a super young. It's getting younger. But this guy's got still 10-plus years of really good golf. And he's showing that he can turn his career around, and he's back. And another T3 at Augusta. I don't know how you say he's not. So, I mean, I cashed a little bit of money on him. The odds weren't great top five and top no. ten. But I still threw both of those in there and made a little money. So yeah, definitely was fun we- cheering for Spieth all weekend.
0: We both had Spieth, top five, top ten. Um, speaking of age, the one guy who I kind of did as a top ten, a little bit of a dark horse, was Phil Mickelson. Um, I did, th- I put money on top ten. The odds are really good. Um, I also put money on Phil Mickelson, T20. And I got my heart broke because Phil, I'm never drinking his coffee again because it doesn't work, apparently. Phil was T20. And I'm like, man, this ticket's going to cash. This is a plus fi- this is a plus 500 ticket. Phil was T20 going into 18. Had like a four-foot putt for par. And if he made it, it was T20. And he f- of course he missed it for bogey. And ended up T21. Screw you, Phil Mickelson. Love you. But screw you. And you're ruining my bet on
1: the last damn putt. So I don't know how we haven't got here yet, but the other guy we both had money on in different areas was the Canadian, Corey Connors. What a beauty. Super disappointing Sunday. The guy seems to struggle down the stretch, but still, this guy finished T8 at the Masters. That's still great. The guy's 29, so he's a little bit older than some of these other guys, but this guy's just such a pure ball striker. This guy's got, they were calling it all week, the LPGA Tempo which is actually a super big compliment. People will take that the wrong way, but he just never seems to really, it, it's so effortless how he hits the ball. It was uh, a little sad watching him Sunday. We were hoping he could pull it through, but I mean, T8 at the Masters is nothing to be ashamed of. I had him top 10, top five, so nailed that top 10. Just missed out on that top five, but another great week by Corey Connors, and it's nice to see. Yeah, I mean he, I mean, he hit the ace on the
0: weekend as well. And which was unbelievable. I mean it's pretty cool to see, you know, a Canadian from our your kind of neck of the woods, you know, hit yeah. the ace of the Masters, right?
1: Yeah, from Listowel, Ontario. I actually played a high school event against him way back in the day. So let me guess, you night's... crushed him, didn't you? No, he definitely crushed me. I think my team beat his team because the rest of his team sucked, but he I think finished second in the tournament. Jeez. So yeah,
0: I, we, I also had him top five, top 10. I didn't have him. Um, I think I had him top 10 on the pod and you know, he was 10th. I think he was 10th in November and he was T eight. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's really just shown that this is, and, and I think he'll only get better as long as he maintains and doesn't go with the Rory McIlroy route. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but the Rory McIlroy route where you just have that regression, um, yeah. You know experience at the masters and we talked about this experience at the masters goes a long way if you've played in multiple sets of conditions and it definitely did help that you've played you know twice in six months uh, but it goes a long way right so hopefully you can build on that kind of moving forward just looking at the list here um did you see a single shot from patrick reed on the masters broadcast not many and i wasn't too disappointed not to he, he was t8 i did not i i swear to god i saw zero
1: patrick reed shots which again, I'm not sad about it either. I didn't even know that he was T eight. Well, he backdoored that pretty good. He shot a 69 when everyone else was kind of hovering around par, so he he had a really good Sunday coming from way behind to kind of sneak into that top ten. So yeah, he super but talk back. about a back talk about a back door, though. John Rahm minus six in
0: in the fourth round. I mean, he started the day even, and he pumped himself up to T five. Like you basically just worked yourself, you know. From, uh, oh, what was the placement there? Even his T21, so fell. Um, Worked your way from a T21 to a T5. Like, that's a huge payday. So that's a backdoor if I've ever seen one.
1: Yeah, so there was a couple of them. So then the last big thing, we both kind of touched on how it would be fun and we thought, or, I mean, you were really pushing that it was going to be easy money to take a big parlay on 20 guys to make the cut. Damn it. This year was probably even harder than usual if you read through some of the names that missed the cut. I mean, I did guarantee that Kepka or Fina, one of the two, would miss the cut. Brooks Kepka never had a chance. He's now taking months off. The guy should not have played after his knee surgery. I don't know no. why he did, other than it was the Masters. Kepka was look- the lock of the week to miss the cut. If like I should I, I actually should have put money
0: on it, because I think it was actually stupid. It was like plus two fifty or something for him to miss the cut.
1: I should have been all I should have put every dime I had that he would miss the cut, and he looked awful. So, here's kind of the names that I thought were semi surprising. Some of these, maybe not as much as others Matt Kucher, he's usually been pretty good. Max Homa, Sergio Garcia. Then we get into Kevin Kisner, Brooks Kepka, the reigning Masters champion and number one golfer in the world, DJ Mist, Lee Westwood, Rory McElroy. And then even guys like Patrick Cantley and Zach Johnson missed as well. Patrick Cantley was one
0: that I was like, I was high on Cantley. Right. Like I thought that I had him, I had a uh, Patrick Cantley, um, a bad, I don't, I don't think I put it out in the pod, but I can't lay uh, top five ticket and that was over really quick.
1: Yeah. And I, a lot of people's dark horse was Sunday M who also missed the cut. The guy was really all over it in November there and plays every week and he had a bad week too. So Golf just shows how crazy of a sport it can be. All these guys were – most of these guys were favorites. A handful of them, people were putting a lot of money on to win it. And some of them didn't even come close to making the cut. Yeah, it's – I'm going to hit one of those parlays
0: sometime. Again, shout out to our buddy Jake for, for turning us on to that because I love it. It's kind of like our first half honors from our friends over the Sports Gambling Podcast. They turned us on to that for the – Um, the NCAA March Madness tournament. Jake turned us on to this uh, 20-man parlay to make the cut. I'm definitely going to do that in the future. I want to pat myself on the back. End of the pod last week, I threw out Xander Shoffley, top five. And Xander Shoffley legitimately had a chance to win. And, you know, there was a quote come out that he was talking about, well, you know, I picked the wrong club. I read the wind wrong. could you imagine <laughs> like you like my level of of reading the wind as an amateur is like oh, it's blowing left to right oh it's blowing up and down. I'll take one club here, one club here. These guys are like, well, it's a downwind here it's an upwind you know this is gonna pace us out you know they're five yards we're gonna land it here like how much they actually analyze the wind is incredible but I mean if you look at the the day, like Morikawa was, or sorry, Morikawa, Matsuyama was plus one and Shafley was even and Shafley lost by three strokes. And he's, what did he shoot on that hole? Was it a double par he, or a double bogey he shot on uh, 16? Yeah, it was a five or a think, six there. He had, I, it might've even been a triple, but I think it was a double, but he legitimately, but then it was gone. Right. Cause then after that, it was like, whatever, I'm out of, I'm out, I'm out of contention. Um, But if he pars that, right, he's right there. Like he he would have been one back from what I remember watching it. he would have been one back after 16 if he parted. Heck, if he birdied it, he would have been tied like that one shot. Shoffley could have gone, could have gone the distance. So, you know, I, I as I said, I, I just I shouted him out right at the end. That was kind of one of those dark horse ones. He's always there, as I said, always there. It's only going to be a matter of time, in my opinion, until this guy puts on a green jacket if he keeps playing the way that he does. But you just can't make those mistakes. Same thing with Tiger, by the way, in 2019. He was also right there
1: and put it in the water and made a mistake. Xander's just so much reminding me of what Sergio Garcia was for years. He just He's always right there. He's one of the best players in the world consistently. Just can never get it done in the majors. And just somehow finds a way just to fall apart or hit one bad shot that costs him it, and that's kind of the player he's turning into at the moment. We'll see if we can turn it around, and he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on on the other three majors left in the year. We got to keep her moving though. We got NHL action again this week. It's really coming we down the back. stretch here now. We are back. I'm excited to get in some picks, Cam. So I mean, let's start it right off. We got an afternoon tilt: Ottawa versus Montreal on Saturday. Um, I'm gonna go the I'm taking the Habs, I'm taking the money line. I'm not gonna
0: overthink it. The Habs gotta win. They don't have a choice. They lost to Calgary tonight. If they want to sneak into the playoffs, they're not catching Edmonton, they're not catching Winnipeg, they're definitely not catching Toronto. The only two teams that could swap, in my opinion, are uh are Montreal and Calgary. And if I know the Habs have played Calgary a couple like I think three more times moving forward, they lost tonight. They gotta pick up wins. I know the Sens have been pesky. I know they've moved guys out. Connor Brown is on an unreal scoring streak right now. you got to get the job done. If, if they lose to the Sens on Saturday, it's going to get ugly up in Montreal quick, I think. So they, you got to win. It's a must-win, in my opinion. This is a must-win game. Habs, money line.
1: Yeah, this is one of the harder ones to do because they play Calgary again on Friday, so then you go back to back. It's really making me nervous that I don't know who's going to be in net on Saturday. Uh, Price is questionable to come back this weekend. Jake Allen was not very good on back-to-back games, so I don't know if you want to go that route again. Do we see Caden Primo because he's up with the team? But I think you're right. Like Montreal, they don't have to win many of these games to secure a playoff spot, but they got to win one or two of these. I mean, I don't think Calgary's winning out and based on point percentage. So, yeah, I got to go Habs' money line here, too. They've played Ottawa pretty well, and Ottawa did lose a couple important pieces. So, yeah, Habs' money line, and let's not overthink it. If they lose to Calgary Friday, is, is it a must, must win?
0: Like, are you at that point as a Habs fan where you're like, we have to win Saturday here and, and take the
1: two points from the worst team in the North? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to lose three games in a row, but even if they pick up a point on Friday against Calgary, that's all they really need to do. I know Calgary's only four points behind now, but Montreal still has three games at hand. Again, Montreal's picking up enough points here and there that it's going to make it really tough on Calgary. And, I mean, that's the thing about the North Division too, is even I think they play three games against Edmonton still, Not completely, if you sweep those three games, you could easily pass Edmonton too. So not completely over in the division, but I think it's pretty much looking like they should have that fourth spot. But yeah, you got to win against Calgary. And then Saturday, you got to pick up those two points against Ottawa. Love it. What do we got next? Moving into the Leafs versus the Canucks. The Canucks are back from COVID Friday, hopefully. And then they play back to back on Saturday.
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, can you even bet on the Canucks after that much of a break? Against the Leafs? Seriously?
1: No, and I don't even know. I. Th- it sounds like they have five to six players still on the COVID list, so it there- sounds like they're probably going to have a bunch of AHLers playing with them. I don't know how you can bet on the Canucks at all for the next, I think, week. Uh, I mean, I hope they put up a few goals here and there, because I just picked up Bo Horvat down the stretch in uh, fantasy. But yeah, I... You can't overthink this. I actually would probably dabble a bit in puck line, but for the sake of the pod, I'm sticking money line. It's just way safer. It's probably going to be a little crazy. The other route you could go with this game is the Leafs and Regulation. Usually that number's a little better. You don't get the crazy as much as you do just straight money line. I'm going to go Maple Leafs puck line. I'm not afraid. I mean, I've been doing pretty well.
0: Like, I think we're we're both over fifty percent. Um, I mean, if a Canucks player, I know JT Miller was saying that tonight about how they need more time. If players are coming out and saying we're not ready, and in their head they're not ready, I guarantee you that the Leafs will be ready. And the Leafs play Winnipeg tomorrow night. They just uh, they lost to the Habs, and then they lost to the uh, they lost to the uh, the Flames. On, uh, on back-to-backs, they got 1.2 games. Um, the Leafs are comfortable in first place, but they need to get, you know, again, you're, you're, the Leafs are not the team that are going to lose three straight, four straight. If they lose tomorrow night versus Winnipeg, I think it's a lock, 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 lock that it's puck line. Um, I think they win tomorrow versus the Jets, but I think that, it as I said, not overthinking it, and I, I'm happy to take the risk. Versus a team that hasn't played in forever and who knows how COVID actually affects their, you know, their stamina or whatever. So Leafs, puck line, lock it up.
1: Yeah, so getting into our final Saturday North Division game, and we got the Oilers versus the Jets. So this is the part where it's tough for Montreal to catch these guys. If they play each other, somebody's got to get two points. You just assume and hope it's not a three-point game.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, you're right. Three-point game is, it, and any time a three-point game, I mean, I know when it's this close, I mean, the Canucks, or the Canucks, the Flames were rooting that the uh Leafs would beat the Habs on Monday. That didn't happen. And then, you know, the Canucks got two points versus the Leafs, which is what they needed. The one point that the Leafs got doesn't matter. But when you got teams like this that are all close together, and it could go either way if one team goes on a winning streak. The those three-point games are killer. Um yeah, and again, when, when we're picking Oilers and Jets again, it all comes down to we talked about this a billion times is hellbuck going to be good. Um what I want to look at is, is is just, you know, who needs it more right now. And, you know, if let's just assume that the Leafs beat Winnipeg tomorrow, they come out, they have a great game. Um it's really close. I mean, Winnipeg is at 50, sitting at 55 points. Edmonton's at 52 points currently. They're all pretty well similar games in hand. Edmonton needs it more, right? Edmonton needs it more because the Habs still have two games in hand on them and they just, they got to get it done. So I'll take Edmonton puck line. Sorry, not puck line. That'd be ridiculous. It's hella buck. Edmonton
1: money line. I'm going to go the other way with this one. I still think the Jets are flawed, but they keep proving me wrong. That uh, top-end scoring, you don't need, with the top six they have, you don't need many chances, and Hellebuck makes saves. The other night against the Habs, they won 5-0. It was not a 5-0 game. The scoring chances in the first were 8-1 Montreal. Couldn't score. Hellebuck stood in, and then they got a couple quick ones with that scoring. So I think they're going to do it against Edmonton. I think I just, when it comes down to it, yeah, I think Winnipeg's D is not as good, but goal thenning is so important, and Hellebuck's much, much better than Smith or uh, Koskinen. So I'm going to go Jets money line. Just basically bank it on Hellebuck's going to continue to play well.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a valid pick. I, I think, as I said, I think that that one's more of a pick-em. I think the standings indicate that it's a that it's a pick 'em. Um, I guess we'll she we'll
1: see how it shakes out. So Zach, now here's the big question. Let's do it. You're putting your perfect lock record on the line. And I'm going to give you the first choice this week, too. Oh, baby. Can I pick against the Sabres?
0: You can do whatever you would like. Okay, well, I'm not going to pick against the Sabres. And I'll tell you why. Because a perfect record against a team that's probably going to lose out the rest of the season is no fun. So I'm not going to do that. Um... Man, I also man. There's so many bad teams that I could just pick against, though. Like that's the problem, right? Like, okay, i I got one that sticks out of mind. I'm gonna lock up the Washington Capitals over the Philadelphia Flyers on Saturday. Um, I don't think I've picked against the Flyers this year, so I think that's gonna be my defense on my lock. Washington has added pieces and have gotten better. The Flyers are an absolute dumpster fire. They have lost multiple games to the Buffalo Sabres the last two weeks by horrendous scores. And they lost the Rangers, I think, beat them nine to one or something stupid. Like they're the they they arguably could be the worst team. And we're the Sabres and the Red Wings are in this conversation. The Flyers may be the worst team over the last month. So Washington Money Line lock it up all day long.
1: Well I like the theme here. So uh I'm just gonna stick with my theme. They've done well and it's going to match your theme. Sunday, to, Sunday we have the New York Islanders against the Philadelphia Flyers.
0: I'm going to lock <laughs> up the
1: Islanders again. Why ruin a good thing? They hurt me one week, but again, 5 of like the last six weeks, they've done well for me. You just touched on all the points I wanted to touch on. The Flyers suck. They're just let's, not very good right
0: now. I love it. Let's just absolutely shit on the Flyers. Hopefully, if you're a, uh, a Flyers fan on the pod, apologies. You guys were good, and now you're not. And what's actually interesting about this double lock here, because we're double locking against the Flyers on the weekend, is that one of us could get absolutely screwed here, right? Because what happens if the Flyers, you know, they, they get dusted by Washington the next day? They're like, hey, we got to stop losing. And they just come out and absolutely just shit all over the Islanders. That would be interesting, to say the least.
1: Yeah, it would. And, uh, I mean, this definitely got to make our Red Wings fans happy that we're just not shitting on them every week. we got plenty of NHL teams to shit on. Yeah, a lot. The the Flyers are just not very good. Isles and Caps have both gotten better, and they're both good teams. I think you could fade the Flyers all weekend, and I like where we went with this.
0: Well, we could see us going uh, – this could be a perfect week. I'm fairly – as I said, I'm not locking something up unless I'm really, really confident. Happy to put my perfect record on uh teams that I haven't gone off of, and I think that's only fair right I think it's only fair to mix it up I'm not picking the the saviors I'm not picking the wings you know i'm not I, last week's uh against the jackets this week against the flyers mix and match
1: gotta gotta you know can't keep shitting on the same teams mix it up, so I'm excited we're really getting down the stretch in this n h l action and only a couple. I guess we still got just about a month now with the changes that Vancouver's added. So it's going to be an interesting month. Could be a lot of changes. I mean, I think we basically all across the league know who the playoff teams are, but seating matters. And then we got playoffs. Yeah, and a couple of weeks
0: from now, just uh, if you're when you're tuning in, like we are going to, Again, when when this when the picture kind of gets a little bit more clearer, I mean, it, it very well could come right down to the last couple of games, uh, but we will, you know, circle back, take a look at uh, what we had for our playoff rankings, um, you know, kind of do a bit of a of a preview of um, of the playoffs. Um, I, we're gonna pick all of the uh, all of the divisional or the other round winners. Um, not sure if we're going to do that right from the start. I don't think we'll pick a whole bracket. I don't think that makes a lot of sense, but uh, we might pick a winner and we might do a, uh, and then, you know, pick the first round the next week, a couple weeks later, pick the second round, kind of something like that.
1: Yeah, that's super exciting for me. I haven't spent that much time on a lot of the other divisions other than North. So when we can kind of narrow each division down to four teams, it'll be super nice to at least touch on everybody a little bit. And
0: that's the best thing, right? It's warm out, the golf courses are open and we're out swinging clubs and we got playoff hockey coming. It might be the best time of the year and it also is the best time of the year because the boys in blue are back on the diamond and unfortunately not in the Rogers Center. But the Jays have come out pretty hot this season. I actually just looked up the standings today. I know that they, uh, they just won the, another series over the Yankees. I mean, these guys are looking fiery to start the year, uh, yet they sit uh, pretty darn low in the... Well, I guess they just topped up now. They're in second. But I mean you had four teams in the AL East who were five and um five and six, and now they are six and seven behind the nine and three Boston Red Sox. There's just a different feel about the Blue Jays this year.
1: Oh, and you just gotta love it today. Like Bichette's turning into my favorite players and to walk off the Yankees. That's gotta be one of my favorite feelings being a Jays fan. There's not many teams I hate more than the Yankees maybe the Leafs maybe in baseball. The Yankees are it. I can't stand the Yankees and to just watch Bichette walk them off. It's just perfect. And that's the thing that's done well for the Jays so far this year is they haven't done well. They're 500 overall, but they've won their series against their division rivals. And if you keep doing that in winning your division games all season long, by the end of the season, it will even out. You'll play some of these weak teams. You'll win a couple of those series, but just keep getting two out of three against your division and by the end of the year, it'll work out well. And I just got to think, you got to look at the numbers on Vlad. They are silly so far this year. Guy's hitting 378 with a five twenty-one on on-base percentage. I know we've touched on it before. Everyone's touching on it. This weight change, this workout regimen he did in the offseason, he's clearly working.
0: Oh, man. I looked at his – I watched probably – I wanna say 3 or 4 innings last night cuz I was, you know, flipping back and forth from the Leafs game. And man, there's there's a couple of things I want to touch on. The first one is his patience at the plate has been unbelievable, right? I remember last year he kind of got into a little bit of a funk and he was swinging at everything. I mean, he has the power to, you know, obviously knock it out of the yard. But he was just, you know, flailing at the plate. And his patience this year has been unbelievable. He took a four-ball uh, a four ball walk, like a four-pitch walk. It, it was un, it was crazy. And then the, the second part of the thing that I want to comment on, this guy is doing the splits like a little gymnast over at first base. I mean, I know that he had said originally, oh, I want to play third. I, th- I mean, I know he came out this year and said, I'm starting to get more comfortable at first base. God, is he ever.
1: Yeah, no, it's awesome to see everything he's done. And, I mean, at the plate, I think losing all that weight is just body control. I think you can control, like, it's just help hit some fouls, foul off a little more, and just be able to do everything. I think you lose 40 pounds, it's easier to control every part of your body, I believe.
0: Well, and something to acknowledge about the Jays as well is they haven't had George Springer play a single game for them and they're sitting at 500 secondary division and they beat the Yankees twice in series
1: yeah that's the killers injuries keep adding up and we just saw Julian Merriweather who's been awesome as their closer so far this year he's now on the 10-day IL so injuries keep rocking up hopefully Springer's going to be back soon and I mean that's the craziest thing is Bichette and Guerrero are playing great I mean we have Randall Grichick 2.0 who's playing really well and we haven't even seen their best player, George Springer, yet this season. It's it's. I mean, again, it's still early. They're playing a
0: full a full season, 162 games. A lot can happen. Um, thankfully, they're not just only playing the AL East, as you said. They're going to play some other crappier teams. They're going to play good teams as well. But as I said, it's it's time to get excited in Jays Land. Um, Simeon's looked really good as too uh, as well. Um, overall, the whole roster. I think they, I think at the deadline, like in months from now, I think that what they're going to try to add is some pitching at some point. Um, you know, bolster the bullpen, maybe bolster the starting rotation, but you can't be anything but excited. Um, I know we're uh, going to wrap this up soon, Cam, but one thing I wanted to touch on and give us a little pat on the back, and we're not, you know, we're curling Canada fans. We love, like, I'm a big curling fan. I curl the club. Uh my club in Norwich here. And we touched on the Briar and in the Briar recap. And one of the things that we said was, and I, I remember saying this very vividly, is that I thought that Brandon Botcher would have a problem in the world because their team is not aggressive enough, and all they do is play really they try to play stickler defense. And if you run into a team who runs the score up, who has a very strong offensive ability that you're going to have to start chasing. And I don't think that you are ready to go for that. And what happened in the world championship, they got dusted and scored on all over the place. They chased a lot of games and they didn't even come close to winning. They barely qualified for the Olympics team. Canada barely qualified for the Olympics. And again, I think this is stupid because I mean now Brandon Botry has to go to the Olympics and play Nicholas, Adine and all these other teams that they just played, they are not built for these types of tournaments.
1: Is there another Olympic qualifier before? I don't remember how it's all working. No, there's,
0: there's not. You just, so like certain teams. Okay. So here's how it works is, is that um, if you win the briar, you get to go to the world championships and you qualify for um, the Olympics if it's that year. So like, let's say the Olympics just happened. There's going to be four, There'll be, you know, three briars up until the Olympics or four briars up to the Olympics. Whoever's team Canada at the time of the Olympics gets to go to the Olympics to represent. Lots of other countries, for example, the Nicholas Dean team from Sweden, they're the only team. Like, they just get a sign, like, okay, you're the best team, off you go, right? And a lot of the other teams in smaller countries as well, you just get to go. Um, I don't know how the U.S. works, but Canada, if you win the briar, that's your team Canada, off you go. There should be an Olympic qualifier, in my opinion, because I don't, I think that the Botcher team got lucky. I know they've made the finals the last couple of years. But man, like sometimes it's not the best team that wins the Briar. It's a team that gets the luckiest. And I just don't feel like they are good enough to compete. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope that when the Olympics comes up next year, that we can look back and say, man, Burke was way off. He had no idea what he's talking about. Team Canada won the gold medal. And I'll be happy that I'm wrong. But the Dean team, and they won the world championship, looked dominant.
1: They looked unbelievable. Well, that's just the hardest thing about curling in Canada and the way we do it. We have arguably, I think if you look at the standings, we have more than half of the top 10 teams. Usually the number one team in the world is Nicholas Adine or Brad Gushu. Brad Gushu loses one tournament. He's not representing Canada. And he's probably the guy who has the best chance of beating Adine on a regular basis. So that's what's tough. I mean, you'd love to see a te- or a country like Canada get multiple places in these things, but you got to under- kind of understand where it's at. But yeah, it's frustrating because I think Brad Gushue gives Canada the best chance at winning these events. But Botcher or Kevin best- Cooey. yeah, or Kevin Bot- Cooey
0: or or somebody who has that world's experience. And I know that you could say, well, you you don't get world's experience until you actually get to the worlds. I get that. But there's a certain type of team. It's the same. This is no different than the NHL. It's very obvious over the past however many years what types of teams win in the NHL, like, in the playoffs. And it's the same thing in curling. It's no different. The styles really have, I mean, they've changed a little bit, but they haven't changed that much where you're like, oh, okay. Like, if you're a one-dimensional team, you have no chance. You can't just go in and expect to play you know, great defense and blank ends, because you're going to have a team who's like, yeah, we've been there before. We're just going to come out and take it away. Right. So I don't know. It, it was just really, really disappointing. Obviously good for the Dean, uh, the Dean team, but man, uh, it, it sucks because it, that's one of those things that I really look forward to. The Olympics is, uh, is curling. I think the women's team has a really good chance. I think Einerson is, is legit. And she's proven that she's legit. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to the women's worlds coming up soon. Um, if she wins that, she'll be a favorite for the Olympics, no doubt. I have way more faith in her taking home gold than I do
1: botch or even, frankly, even placing. So here I do have news for you, Burke. I don't know if it's just because of COVID, but there is Olympic qualifiers for Canada this season. November 20th to 28th in Saskatoon. So the teams who have already qualified for the qualifiers for the men's is Epping, Gushu, Botcher, Cooey, and Jacobs. And for the women, Homan, Einerson, Jones, Flurry. So all these Good. teams will meet in November in Saskatoon in a qualifying tournament for the Olympics. So it's not official that Einerson and Botcher will be representing Canada at the Olympics. Okay, good. Well, hopefully, Ierson
0: wins. I, I have faith in her or Holman. Either is fine. Although Holman, I'm a little, uh, little sketchy on. I mean, she's obviously been really good. Einerson um, has shown killer instincts in the last couple. I mean, she's won two years in a row. The Scotties two years in a row. So how can you bet against her? Frankly, um, God, I hope Watcher's team loses. I, I'd, I'd way rather have Kui. Epping's team. Eh, I'd, I'd rather have, I'd rather have Kui or Gushu go. Honestly.
1: Yeah, no, I agree for sure. So that's an interesting thing to see this year. So we'll have uh, important curling in November.
0: Yes, we love curling on the Over Six Sports Podcast. You can always uh, count on us to fill you in and all this that stuff. And uh, as I said, going back, if I I was unaware of the qualifiers, I know usually they get to go. But hey, if I if I'm completely off base, that's fine. Very glad there's Olympic qualifiers because I'd be gutted if Botcher just gets to go. Um, guess we'll see so cam
1: anything else you got before we sign it off till next week no i got nothing just uh an exciting hockey week some jays to watch and uh really looking forward to this last final stretch in the nhl season yeah it's going to be great and uh just uh again
0: like we have got uh tune in next obviously tune in this week and and feel free to leave us a review the more reviews you leave uh, or our podcast pops up on uh on apple Podcasts more so more people get to listen and that uh, supports us to do some more fun things on the pod so if you haven't already feel uh, free to pop on to apple Podcasts. just leave us a quick review five-star review much appreciated um and as always share us with f- family friends whoever is a sports fan will like the over six sports podcast hopefully and uh i think cam we're gonna have a contest next week so that's going to be fun so everybody stay tuned for uh one of our first contests you're definitely going to want to tune in uh for that
1: yeah i'm excited this should be good and uh keep an eye on twitter is the big thing yes you can follow us at over six sports on twitter and as always
0: i am zach the bandit burke and with me the man the turf king
1: still not gonna ever say it myself cameron charlton Love it. We will chat with you, Cam, next week. Thank you for listening to the Over 6 Sports Podcast.